0: Well, good morning. Um, this Sunday, we're going to look at Matthew chapter 2. Um, if you want to open your Bibles to Matthew chapter 2, I'm going to read the whole chapter. We're only going to look at a portion, uh, but we'll read through the whole chapter to, to give us a context for what's happening Um, But before we do that, let's open up with a a word of prayer. God, we thank you so much for this morning. Uh, We thank you that we can gather together as your people to sing songs and praise your name, to be reminded that you are a God who has made promises and who keeps your promises. And as we begin this Christmas season, that we can remember uh, that you are faithful. Um, So I pray that we would learn to trust in you. I pray that this morning that our hearts would be open, that your spirit would work through your word to change our hearts, change our lives for your glory, so that we can be a people who who worship you. Um, So work in us as your church this morning. In your son's name we pray. Amen. Uh, Matthew chapter 2, verse 1. Now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, in the days of Herod the King, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born, king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. When Herod the King heard this, he was troubled. And all Jerusalem with you, and assembling all the chief priests and scribes and the people, he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. They told him in Bethlehem of Judea, for it is written by the prophet, O you, and you, O Bethlehem, and the land of Judah are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For from you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel." Then Herod, when he saw that he had been tricked by the wise men, became furious and sent and killed all the male children in Bethlehem, and in that region, who were and in all that region who were two years old and under, according to that time that he ascertained from the wise men. That then was fulfilled what was spoken by the prophet Jeremiah. A voice was heard in Ramah, weeping. In place of his father, Herod, he was afraid to go there. And being warned in a dream, he withdrew to the district of Galilee. And he went and lived in a city called Nazareth, so that it was spoken by the prophets might be fulfilled, that he would be called a Nazarene. Many of us are probably familiar with this passage, the wise men who came. Um, And this morning, what my hope is, is to take a fresh look at this passage. Um, In doing so, I want to avoid speculation, lots of speculation about who were these wise men. What was this star? Where did the star come from? How did it guide them? How did they hear about this star? Lots of speculation that we can have. But I firmly believe that God has given us everything we need to know in this story and in the entire Bible and that the hidden things belong to the Lord. So this morning, I want to avoid those speculations and focus on the characters in this text. And as we look at the characters, mainly the wise men, King Herod, and the religious leaders, what I want to reflect upon is their response to Jesus. I want to look at how these characters responded to Jesus And then examine our own hearts, our own lives, and see which category, which characteristic is part of our lives. Are we like the wise men, or Herod, or the religious leaders? And so as we begin our journey through this text, I just want to ask a few questions. Just to get us thinking um, as we open up God's word. Uh, what is my response to Jesus? What's my response to Jesus? All of us come in, in contact with Jesus all the time. At minimum, every Sunday, we come in contact with with Jesus and we're presented with the truth. What is my what is my response? Second question. How is my answer to the first question reflected in the worship of my life? You see, all of us were designed to be worshipers. The question is, what do we worship? And does my response to Jesus, is that reflected in a life that is worshiping Jesus? Or is it, as we'll see in, in a few minutes in some other characters, Worshipping other things in response to who Jesus was. So with those few questions in mind, we're going to take time. We're going to go through the passage kind of three times. Uh, We're going to look at first the wise men. Then we're going to look at King Herod. And then we're going to look at the religious leaders and kind of tie it all up together. Um, So first, the wise men. Uh, We find out in verse 1. That these wise men came from the East. Again, lots of speculation. Where is in the East did they come from? Um, what I want to point out is that I think what is important is that these wise men, no matter where they came from, wherever in the East, these men were outsiders. They were outsiders. They weren't involved in worship in Jerusalem, which was really important to Jews that day. Worshiping in the temple, that's where worship happened. They were outside of the Jewish structure. They were outsiders. And I think it's important to, to recognize that God would come to these outsiders in a miraculous way and tell them of himself and lead them back to Bethlehem to worship. So these outsiders from the east, um, God spoke to, somehow. And they came to Jerusalem and said, where is he born king of the Jews? Now that's an interesting phrase, king of the Jews. That these outsiders, people who, who knows what kind of scripture they had, would come and seek The king of the Jews. And why is that an interesting phrase? Well, because the king of the Jews is a term that is used for the Messiah. So what these people were were seeking was, was the Messiah. If you look back into the Old Testament at the Davidic covenant or in Jeremiah or Zechariah or many of the Old Testament prophets, They prophesied of of a king who would come and who would rule. And here we have these outsiders coming and seeking the king of the Jews. The king of the Jews is also an interesting phrase because of how it's used in the book of Matthew. If you look through the book of Matthew, the only three times that you'll see this is here and at the crucifixion the very beginning of the book, and the very end of the book. And I think Matthew is doing something there. He's presenting Jesus Christ as the Messiah who would come and who would die for his people, to offer redemption that we could not accomplish in ourselves. And I think it's interesting that these outsiders, the magi, that God would come call them to himself. And they would come desiring to worship the king of the Jews. And so in verse 2 it says they they came and they said where is he who has been born king of the Jews. And why did they come for they saw a star when it rose. I don't want to get into the speculation of this again what kind of star was this and how did what kind of astrology were they potentially using if any. What I want to point out uh, our are a few things first that the purpose of the star was to guide the magi to guide the, the wise men to find jesus god did this miraculously and i think it's appropriate that we trust him there's a point in the old testament when god held the sun for seven days god created the, the sun the moon the stars all of the planets I think that a God who is able to do that can miraculously use a star to guide these people to himself. But more than that, I think that one thing that Matthew is driving at is that the purpose of the star is to give glory to God. The purpose of the star is to give glory to God. That here in the birth of Jesus Christ, when, as we know, King Herod and the religious leaders who wanted to kill him, either then or later in his life, rejected the Messiah. That the star cried out, praise to God, because Jesus Christ is born." We know that from Psalm 19, that the heavens declare the glory of God, and, and Jesus even said that if my disciples don't cry out, the rocks will. And in this passage, we have his disciples, or the people of God, not crying out. So guess what? The star cries out. The people of Israel who were designed to be God's instrument to spread the gospel. We're not doing that. So God's creation cried out. in shame and condemnation on his people. To bring people to him. One last point to kind of kind of off track a little bit, but about the star is that it's interesting that in Matthew chapter one, verse one, that Jesus is described as both the, the son of David and the son of Abraham. In the king of the Jews, we see that, that Jesus is the son of David. In the star, what was Abraham promised? That his descendants will be like the stars. And here we have this star If you look into Galatians, it says that God's promise was made to a single offspring, Jesus Christ. Just interesting. You can work out the connections later. But that God would make this promise to Abraham and here the star, the son of Abraham, as said in in Matthew chapter 1, would come to declare God's glory to bring people to himself. So the Magi saw this star. They came to worship the king of the Jews, and that's exactly what they came to do, is worship the king of the Jews. Interesting that they came from the east, that's a a great distance to travel. And travel back then wasn't like hopping in your car and driving to Maine. It was difficult, costly, dangerous. There were often robbers along the trade routes that were the highways back then they would come and you needed to hire protection for yourself. It wasn't an easy thing to do to travel from one end of the world to the other. Yet they understood that Jesus, the Messiah, with the limited knowledge that they had, they understood that he was worth risking it all. Risking their lives, risking their animals, risking their money. Their treasures for Jesus Christ. You see, what they had was worship, which was a life-altering service and devotion. A life-altering service and devotion. As they came to understand who Jesus was, as they knew that the Messiah, the promised Redeemer, had come. This worship. Changed their lives. They were no longer the same people. They left their home. They risked their lives to worship Jesus Christ. Their lives were devoted to Jesus and their worship was active. It wasn't just something that, you know, we come to Sunday morning and we sing songs and we listen to a sermon and then, then we, we go home. And that truth has No real effect on our lives. These wise men were consumed with the truth. They were consumed with Jesus, the Messiah. And their lives reflected that. So after the wise men came to Jerusalem, they interacted with Herod and the the religious leaders who told them that. The Messiah was not to be born in Jerusalem, but Bethlehem. And so they went off and went to Bethlehem. And we'll pick up in verse 10. It says, when, the star, when they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. They rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. Kind of redundant, right? But it just reflects their worship that they were so consumed with Jesus Christ that when they saw this star, before they even saw Jesus, the Messiah, they saw the star, and they rejoiced with exceeding great joy. Now, they didn't necessarily rejoice at the star because the star was so great. The star was just a sign of the the presence of the Messiah, which was standing over Jesus. The result of the sign is that they, we find out in the next verse that they went into the house and they, they began to worship and they offered up gifts. Um, but something similar is, say if you're traveling to Disneyland, Disney World. and you, you see the sign, well, you get excited because Disney World's right down the road. The same thing was happening here. They saw the sign standing right there, and they they were so excited that they rejoiced with exceedingly great joy, or rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. Because of the sign that that Jesus Christ was right there. The next thing they do is they went into the house, and they they saw the child with Mary, his mother, and what was their response to Jesus Christ? Is that they fell down and worshipped find it interesting that they fell down and worshipped. That not only did they, they risk their lives in coming here, though in the very presence of Jesus Christ, that their physical bodies were affected in their worship. I find that interesting because oftentimes that in our American culture, our evangelical culture, we often... Our bodies aren't involved in worship, at least at church. Watch someone watching a sports game and their their team scores. What do they do? Their body is affected and controlled by their worship because they're rejoicing with exceeding great joy because their team just scored or or won the game. Or when you see that sign for Disneyland and you can't help but scream and, and give each other high fives in the car because Disneyland's right on the corner. We, we know that our, our bodies are affected with our worship, and yet we, we come to church and, you know, we, we stand there and, and we sing. Not that we have to move around, but just an example. Just if you're praying, are, are, is your, your body involved in this prayer? See, I find that interesting that, that these wise men, these, these magi, would be so consumed with Jesus Christ that it would affect every part of their being that they would fall down and worship Jesus Christ. The next thing that they did was that they opened their treasures and they offered him gifts. We find something else interesting is that not only were they willing to risk their lives, not only did they, they, their bodies physically express worship to Jesus Christ, but that their money meant nothing to them that what was most important to them was giving everything they had to Jesus Christ. Their wealth was meaningless in comparison to the worth of Jesus Christ. They recognized that their lives and all of their stuff was the Lord's. And that Jesus as Lord was worthy of laying it all down. So, as we think about the Magi, the wise men, they were consumed with a life altering service and devotion to Jesus Christ. Before we move on to the other two characters, I just want to ask a simple question Is that me? Is that you? Do we respond to Jesus that way? With life-altering devotion and service? Is that how we live our lives? The next two characters, Herod and the religious leaders, we're going to look at two different responses that both come from the same heart. We're going to look at Herod, who was active in his hatred toward Jesus. And then we're going to take time and look at the religious leaders who are passive, aggressive in their hatred towards Jesus. we're going to look at both as two sides of the same coin that come from the same heart, which is refusing to worship Jesus Christ. So let's look at Herod first. We're first introduced to Herod in verse 3. When Herod heard the news that these Magi had come and were looking for the Messiah, he was troubled. He was troubled. His initial response to hearing about Jesus Christ, the King of the Jews, was the opposite of the Magi. Magi were excited, they rejoiced with exceeding great joy, they couldn't wait to get to to Bethlehem wherever Bethlehem was to worship Jesus Christ and here we have the opposite of that, King Herod who instead of laying his entire life down for Jesus because Jesus is so worthy he refused to relinquish anything and instead he felt that his kingdom was being threatened his kingdom both physically the king of the Jews but more importantly, his kingdom spiritually. You see, the Magi, when they came, just announced the birth of the Messiah. And if Jesus truly is the Messiah, the the King and Savior, that means that Herod's not. And in our fallen state, Apart from Jesus Christ we try to be our own savior and so when Herod is presented with the truth that you are not your savior he felt threatened see we don't like to acknowledge that we can't save ourselves so sometimes we create rules, we create legalism things that we need to do to keep the law so we can be better in God's sight Or maybe instead of trusting in the law, maybe we trust in our materialism or or the wealth and we pursue like Herod probably did because he made one mountain shorter than the other because he wanted his summer home on the one mountain. Because he was consumed with materialism. And he felt his kingdom being threatened. Real quick, I want to talk about kingdom. I think it's important for us to get this. I think kingdom often becomes something that is an abstract idea, living in America. But uh, in a kingdom, there is a ruler and a realm. And oftentimes, I find that we want to be the ruler. You know, there are lords and vassals, there are sovereigns and subjects. There's a, a, a kingdom, there's one in charge of the entire kingdom, And we want that authority and control in our lives. And like Herod, we'll do whatever it costs to make sure that we have that seeming authority and control in our lives. In our sin, we struggle to fight to be king. We we war against God and the people around us as their kingdoms come in contact with ours We fight to to be that king in our lives. A silly illustration to kind of think about this. Um, I don't know if you're familiar, but there are these bubble suits that you can wear. And I don't know if you've seen people play soccer with them. But that's kind of what we're like. We want our own kingdom. And we're going to run around and hit everyone and knock everyone down because our kingdom is so much better. And I know that's a silly illustration, but that's what I think of, is that all of us in our our sin have our own little bubbles. And we're running around and trying to run into people and get them to be involved in our kingdom, but it doesn't really work because we all want our, our own way. And what happens is just, chaos and mayhem because in our sin we're pursuing our own glory instead of pursuing the glory of Jesus Christ instead of taking off that bubble and saying God is is so much more worthy God you are the king you are the creator you are the sustainer of the entire world you are the one who has redeemed me in Jesus Christ but in our sin we've put on that, that bubble and run around and try to knock everyone else down. So Herod, when he hears of Jesus Christ, in his sin, he, he wants his own kingdom, so naturally he's troubled. I also find it interesting that not only is Herod troubled, but all Jerusalem with him, in verse 3, it says the Herod king, was, he was troubled, and all of Jerusalem with him. Interesting, because this problem that Herod had was not just Herod's problem. It's your problem and my problem. Is that we want our own kingdom. We want to be the authority. We want to be the Messiah. We want to save ourselves. But we can't do that. So as we think about kingdom, how do we respond when our kingdom is threatened? When our rulership is is threatened by others, do we respond in anger and frustration? Or how about, how do I respond when my kingdom is threatened by Jesus? When my kingdom is threatened by Jesus' presence in in Sunday morning, when I come and and I hear God's word, and my heart is convicted of it and the presence of Jesus rings deep into my soul? Do I humbly acknowledge my failures, and do I I come and, and, and boldly repent and approach the throne of grace where I can find help in a time of need? Or do I get angry or just walk away and try to live my life as best I can according to my own rules? How do I respond when my kingdom is threatened? Well, Herod didn't give up quite yet. He was troubled. He was down, but not out. So he gathered the wise men around, or the chief priests around him, and was confronted with the truth. He said, no, they're right that the Messiah is to be born in in Bethlehem. And so again, he was confronted with the truth. But he responds in a very interesting way. What does he do is, in verse 7, that Herod summoned the wise men secretly, and ascertained from them what time the star had appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem, saying, "Go and search diligently for the child, and when you have found him, bring me word that I too may come and worship him." His response is interesting. What does he do but he acts like a worshiper? He says, I want to worship him too. Go diligently. They already came diligently. He said, go continue going diligently, searching for him. Why? So I can come and worship him too. I find Herod's hypocrisy interesting because I find that I often do that myself. You know, I, I know the truth, I know the right words to say oftentimes my heart isn't reflected in that you know sometimes we, we come to church on Sunday and, and our hearts really not there and we sing the words and we say everything's great to everyone because that's the way to respond and in our hypocrisy we are denying Jesus Christ we're refusing to repent and acknowledge that he is Savior See, Herod knew the right words to say to make himself a devout worshiper. And in the next sentence, that it says that the wise men listened to him. He did such a good job at acting the part that the wise men believed him. And they went off, and without the Lord's intervention, they were going to go back to King Herod, because <laughs> King Herod wanted to worship Jesus Christ, too. I just want us to take a, a moment and, and think about this. How often are are we like King Herod that we're all consumed with our kingdom throughout the week and then we come to church on Sunday and we we know the truth so we try to be someone different than who we really are. Or we meet a believer halfway through the week and it's been a, a terrible week and we try to act like everything's great and like we have everything together. How often do we act like Herod? You know, the Magi may have been deceived, at least initially, but God is not. God sees the heart. Which is why God warned the Magi not to go back. Because God saw Herod's heart. And even though he he had this act down even but Herod, in the midst of this act, was pursuing his own kingdom. Trying to rescue it so that he can be the king, so he can be the one in control, so he can be his own savior. But this didn't work for Herod, because God's in control, and it wasn't time for Jesus Christ to die for the sins of the people yet. So, God rescued Joseph and Mary and and Jesus and, and took them away, and he told the Magi, and so they, they tricked Herod and went out another way and went back to their country. And Herod, when he found out, I find his response interesting, is that his response as his kingdom crumbles revealed his heart. And if you look with me at, at verse 16, it says, Then Herod, when he saw that he had been tricked by the wise men, became furious. And he sent and killed all the male children in Bethlehem in all that region who were two years old old and younger, according to the time that he had ascertained from the wise men. How do we respond when we are displaced from our throne? When do we think that we are king and something comes into our lives and crashes down and and reveals our heart that we really aren't in control? We really have can't save ourselves. There's nothing we can do. How do we respond to those events when someone pulls in front of us on the highway, or steals your parking spot because it's the crazy time of year in parking lots, or when your kids just won't listen to you? How do you respond when your heart is revealed that you're not king? Are are you like Herod? Acting furious, You know, at work we have, I lead the, a team that unloads trailers and puts everything on the shelf and it's a really timely job and we need to, to get everything off of that trailer in an hour and 15 minutes to an hour and a half and sometimes it's really easy <laughs> when the team members, it's early in the morning, they start at six, some of the team members make not so wise decisions to stay up too late and drink too much the night before. When they come to work and, and, and they're, n- they're not doing as, as best they could, it's, it's really easy when we're an hour and 10 minutes in and we still have a quarter of the truck to go to get frustrated and upset. Why? Because I think that I'm king and that I, d- I deserve my team members to work hard. And so I, I act in frustration furious. My team members may not see it, but in my heart there's a struggle. Because I want to be king and my kingdom is being threatened. It's interesting how quickly we begin to respond just like Herod. And not only was Herod furious, is that he also killed all the male children. Now, we may not kill people, hopefully not, but it, in our hearts, how often do we despise people? Despise coworkers because they can't keep up or hate people for who knows what reason. See, the result of our sin is that people are oftentimes figuratively killed. We kill the people around us. And in having this attitude, what we are are seeking to do is, in effect, kill Jesus too. Herod wanted to be king, and if he couldn't be king, he was going to kill anything that threatened his kingdom. How often do we act the same way, that we want to be king, we want to be the authority, we want to be the one who is worshipped and glorified? and will kill everyone and anything that gets in the way, including Jesus Christ. may not be outbursts of anger, but maybe it's a seething bitterness that just hangs in your soul. A hatred for a people that, again, you may not express, but is there, affecting your relationship Want to be king. So how are we like Herod? Are we like Herod in the fact that we want to be king? I, I find that so often we are. We fight for our authority, our control, and we respond in, in sin and anger and when we can't have our way. we've looked at the, the Magi, we've looked at King Herod, now let's look at the religious leaders. On the other side of, of the coin we have King Herod, who responded in, in hatred and visible anger. On the other side we have the religious leaders who hated Jesus, not quite in a visible anger quite yet. The next time he was called king of the Jews when they killed him, they responded that, but now it's indifference. Which is interesting that indifference turns to hatred when pushed. They didn't really care about Jesus in the beginning. But when pushed, when they had to come with terms that just like Herod, they were not king, they were not the rulers, they were not the religious leaders who could save the people or themselves. When they had to come in terms with that their response was the same as King Herod. What's interesting about the religious leaders is that they knew the truth. We find in verse 4 that Herod came and he asked the, the religious leaders, he gathered the scribes and the Pharisees and said, so where is the Christ supposed to be born? And these religious leaders who didn't have a concordance didn't have Google or another search engine to type in where is the Messiah supposed to be born. They, they knew the scripture well enough to be, well, in Micah it says, blank. Micah, such a small book, and yet they knew exactly where the Messiah was to be born. See, they, they knew the scripture. But knowing the truth, had no positive way, positive change in their lives. Yeah, they knew where the Messiah was to be born, but even when presented with the truth that, hey, the Messiah is here, they couldn't travel six miles to Bethlehem. Eh, who cares? We're good with our book and our laws. We don't need to travel to Bethlehem to go worship someone who isn't a Jew, Probably told me that the Messiah was supposed to be born because he saw a star. Like, what? You see, they were too caught up in their kingdom to care. They were too caught up in their own kingdom to care about Jesus. And so what, in effect, they were doing was ignoring the truth that was staring them right in the face that they couldn't even, I mean, they couldn't even send, like, A scribe and a chief priest, or a scribe and to go out and search Bethlehem or follow them around. And what they were doing was ignoring the truth. Ignoring the truth that was confronting them in the face. And what they were doing was ignoring God. And in, in ignoring God, they were choosing to worship elsewhere. They were choosing to. To not worship Jesus Christ, but to worship their own system of law, so worship their own system of religion. So, why? So they can be first place rather than Jesus Christ. Being ignored hurts. We all have relationships that probably haven't gone so well. And we know that being ignored by someone else is very painful. And yet that's the very same thing that these religious leaders were doing to God. They knew the truth, but they were choosing to ignore ignore God. They were living their life basically as if God didn't exist. Or that God didn't have any say in their lives. Now they wouldn't say that because they followed the Old Testament along with their other laws. But in ignoring Jesus, the Messiah, who was born just a few miles from where they were, by ignoring that, they were ignoring all that God had promised. Rendering their view of the Old Testament null and void. See, they were living it in functional atheism, functionally without God, thinking that God didn't have any say on their finances, thinking that God doesn't have any say in our lives and what we watch on TV or our recreation or our food. You see, we, we would rather listen to ourselves rather than listen to God's truth. And we become the standard for our truth, the standard for our lives. And we become the standard for our decisions, our actions, our reactions. Everything comes from us. These are the things that we've created. This is the law that we need to keep. And we establish Ourselves as this false Messiah. Rather than relinquishing everything and going to Bethlehem to worship Jesus Christ. So, which character are we most like? Find that too often were like Herod or the, wise, or the religious leaders either acting in open rebellion or passive rebellion rebellion nonetheless how do we respond when our kingdom is threatened do we respond in anger or indifference Not only that, but how do we respond to Jesus? Do we worship Jesus with life-consuming devotion? Or do we rebel against what he's declared and who he really is? Not only how do I respond, but how do, I, do, I, do I long for Jesus? Do I long to, to know him? Do I pursue Knowing him? Do I like the the wise men, do I come from great lengths? Do I, I sacrifice so many things just to know and worship Jesus Christ? Do I long for his return? Does my pursuit of Jesus Christ change my life? This morning we have looked at three different characters uh, but the call this morning is not to not be like Herod or not to not be like the religious leaders but first to understand how we are like them how like them we, we live in rebellion to Jesus Christ so often but our response must, must not be to try harder but to trust Jesus as our Messiah. You see, if we try hard, if we try not to be like them, we're just like them because we're trying to be our own Savior. We're trying to build our kingdom and say, God, look at the good things that we have done because, you know, I'm not like these people. The call is to trust in Jesus Christ, the Messiah, to fall down and lay everything before his feet, just like those wise men. To come and lay your entire life down in worship. Presenting the gifts of our lives in life-altering devotion and worship. You see, Jesus Christ is worthy of our lives. He's worthy of everything that we have. And I hope and I pray that we as God's people would not be like Herod, would not be like the religious leaders, but would follow the example of the wise men and lay our lives down before Jesus Christ, trusting in His grace and mercy to redeem us and use us for His glory. God we thank you so much for your word we thank you that you have revealed to us this story this morning that we looked at to reflect upon and I pray that your spirit would come and as we we think about this text that we would call out and cry out in repentance to trust in Jesus Christ as the Messiah. Our Messiah who has come to be our Savior. So God, I I pray that through your power as you work in our lives, that you would relinquish everything for the worth of knowing Jesus Christ, our Savior. And it's in his name that we pray.